You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. Today I have a very special podcast for you. It's an interview that I did the other day with cartoonist Lee Rubin. His syndicated Rubes cartoon is published in hundreds of newspapers daily. Now right at this very moment that I'm recording this, Lee is at RIT, that's the Rochester Institute of Technology, where he has been honored with the title of being their cartoonist in residence. Well, Lee contacted me about a month ago with a great story about his parents, who just happened to be the first Jewish couple to ever be married on television. The show was Bride and Groom, and every couple that was married on the show was sent home with a 16mm kinetoscope of their wedding. Well, the Rubens still had the film and they had it transferred to DVD, and I was able to rip the audio from the recording. And while some of it is not perfect, in fact, some of it was not usable at all, you'll be able to attend the October 25th, 1951 wedding of Natalie and Stanley Rubin. So I've divided this podcast into two parts. The first, which you'll hear today, is a discussion with Lee about his parents' wedding among other side things that came up in conversation. The second, which I'll post in about a week or so, is an equally interesting discussion with Lee about how he became an artist, his comic strip rubes, and the TV show that he's been working on. Just to give you a bit of a heads up before I play the audio, the recording was done over Skype, so there's a little bit of echoey feedback, and that forced me to remain absolutely silent while Lee spoke. Anyway, I think you'll like what you hear. So let's take a listen. So Lee, your dad was Stanley Howard Rubin. What did he do for a living? Uh, My dad was an advertising uh, executive. He was uh, one of those New York City madmen. I mean, for real, back in the 50s. And was actually the president of the uh, Advertising Club of Men and Women of New York. And would, you know, get kids in high school into advertising and they would have guests and come and speak. And uh, Hugh Hefner was one of their uh, guests, you know, uh, shilling his new magazine. And the, the guy that did, yeah, actually the guy that did uh, or started Diners Club and have these uh, different people come to to pitch their ideas. So how did you guys end up in California? My older brother, Paul, uh, he had some health issues and the doctor said better to go where it's a drier climate 
And so they, uh, you know, they loaded up the car and they moved to, I would say Beverly, but it was more like Buena Park. They moved out to California. And when, actually, but my dad came out several months before because my mom had to sell the house. We lived in on Long Island in Huntington. And so he went through a variety of kind of odd jobs, you know, the candy counter, which is a terrible thing for him since he loved candy at some at some place. And, then, and I think another place called Green Dollar Nursery, another uh, a kind of a big uh, chain or a big a store, kind of like Kmart back in the day or called uh, the Big A, where you'd walk into this big giant A. This is all in Southern California. And this is in advertising he was doing? Yeah, yeah, and he got into advertising. In around 1965 or 6, he got a job through a mutual friend of his at uh, Max Factor, the cosmetics company. And he stayed there for probably a good, I think, 8 to 10 years before they sold out to Revlon, and then he started his own uh, printing company. Did he do the printing until he retired? He did stay there. We we moved actually from uh, Long Beach to the San Fernando Valley, and he started his own printing company, and it was a family business. So my mom, sister, brother, and I all worked there, and I, I worked there for 21 years. And my brother kind of came and went, and then he did come back for a while, and my sister went off to do her thing. But, uh, yeah, he did retire in the 90s after selling that. Actually, I retired in the 90s after the it was the act of God, the uh, the big Northridge earthquake kind of put an end to that put an end to the freeway. So I can, couldn't get to work anymore, which is fine as I was phasing it out anyway. So like me, you're Jewish. Right. Uh, were your parents religious? My father became a little more practicing during like the high holy days. Uh, you know, we did uh Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Hanukkah were the the big three. And Hanukkah is technically not even supposed to be all that important, but you know, it's where all the fun gifts are, and you get to play with the dreidel and eat potato pancakes. And my mom was raised uh, much more religiously. She, you know, her family emigrated from Eastern Europe. You know, with and I, I met my great grandmother. I mean, you know, I was quite young, but you know, from uh, Lithuania, Russia area, and emigrated. You know, it was a typical uh, fiddler on the roof story, very similar to that. Yeah, we, we had spoken a few weeks ago, and it was amazing how, you know, our histories are so similar. And, and it's very typical of what uh, Jewish people did. You know, they're basically forced out of, you know, Russia and Europe, and most of them ended up somehow in the United States. I mean, my, uh, it's funny, my, my grandma, grandma Rose, she was, um, you could say she passed away when I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight, but she spoke with the, the typical, hello, darling, you know, that kind of an accent and smoked and drank schnapps and apparently was, uh, quite the funny person. And apparently my mom had told me this, that she had one of those amazing memories where she could, I guess around in the garment district of New York, she could, she would see these nice designer clothes and just duplicate them mentally and then go copy them. <laughs> so uh, in the story, the family legend is people knew she was coming around. They would like take the stuff out of the window so they so they she wouldn't be able to copy it. You know, what's interesting is that my grandfather, he just passed away a few years ago. He's 108 years old. Wow. And what's really surprising is I didn't know. I mean, it never really occurred to me because, you know, my great grandmother died when I was very young. 
that she never spoke English. They spoke Yiddish. And I never knew until my grandfather was probably over 100 years old that he spoke Yiddish. I never heard him speak a word of it ever. Wow. He was totally assimilated into the U.S. You know, he, he, would, he wore an American flag on his shirt or lapel or whatever at all times. And he's just so proud to be an American. I never knew that he spoke Yiddish. Wow. Did, and did you ever ask him about it afterwards? I mean, did you ever speak? Did he ever speak Yiddish to you? Never. I mean, I, mean, I think uh, both of us are pretty typical of a lot of Jews in this country that were very assimilated into society. Uh, it, it was just odd. Yesterday at work, someone wished me a happy Passover, and I said, when's Passover? And she goes, oh, you know, it's tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, my wife will have to tell me when Hanukkah is. I'm not really, you know, I don't really keep track of that stuff. It's just not a part of my life. My brother uh, tends to keep a little more. Well, he's not super religious about it, but he did. And I knew it was Passover because I, I dug up a very old Passover cartoon. of had to do gefilte fish, and I posted it on Facebook today. And apparently it's going over quite well. <laughs> so it's it's pretty uh, pretty funny, a cartoon that I did 31 years ago. I'll have to check that one out. I think there's a lot of people who don't know what gefilte fish is. To me, it just looks like white turds, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I heard that <laughs> described the same way lately. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not bad. Some people find it distasteful. I just have pleasant memories of Passover with my family. Yeah, my, my parents, uh, when I was a little kid, they celebrated, but they, they moved out of New York City when I was like seven, eight years old. And after that, I think maybe they did it once or twice after, and that was about it. I, th I think without the family around, there really wasn't much need to do it, you know? Sure. So let's, let's talk about your parents on the show. Sure. So your parents were on the show Bride and Groom, and it originally started as a radio show. Uh, it started on November 26th in 1945 and ran on radio through September 15th in 1950. And what I found out is that about a thousand couples were married on that radio show. That's kind of incredible. That is. It's like early reality t uh, TV, but on radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Including, in including Dick Van Dyke was one of those married on uh, radio. Yeah. I, I, I found that out though. I was quite surprised by that. Well, the show then switched to TV during the 1950-51 season and it was on CBS and then eventually moved to NBC. Looking back, I know there were a lot of shows like this, but the show was only 15 minutes long, where today you'd never find a show less than a half hour. Well, yeah, and that was 15 minutes, including commercials. Yeah, I, I counted up the show that your parents were on, two minutes and 41 seconds of it. That's almost three minutes of the 15 minutes was just for the advertising for the napkin sponsor. Yeah, yeah, Hudson Rainbow Napkins, which I find hilarious, and they're looking at this, these beautiful napkins in these colors, yet it's in black and white. Right. And I, I like the way they put like a green fern on to imply that it was green. And so it's pretty funny. They couldn't show the color. So they put something down on the napkins to indicate uh, what the color would be. Yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. So normally I have a separate retro sponsor, but since it was already built into uh, the show, here is an ad for Hudson paper napkins. Right now, I'd like to remind you, however, that if your Halloween's only a few days away, and so if you're planning a Halloween party for yourself or for the kids, why not make your table center a flower piece jack-o'-lantern and serve Halloween rounds, black and white sandwiches made with cream cheese and olives, devil's food cupcakes decorated with gumdrops, and, of course, Hudson rainbow napkins to make your table a riot of color. You get three gay colors in every box, daffodil yellow, 
Hardy pink, as fresh and lovely as a rose, and misty green, as delicate as any table green. You'll be amazed at the gaiety and charm these soft, colorful napkins make on your party table. So anytime you want to add a colorful note to your table, get economical Hudson rainbow napkins in the pink and blue box. They're at your grocer's today. That's Hudson rainbow napkins. The interesting thing is that at that point, everybody's still using cloth napkins. It's very hard to convince people to use paper napkins, and that's why Hudson took these ass people to use their product. I'm not sure if they're still made or not. I couldn't really find anything around. I think the paper company's still around, but I'm not sure they make napkins anymore. Right. So do you know why your parents wrote into the show? Do you have any idea? You know, I, I was speaking with my brother about this, and I think he said it was at the suggestion of my grandfather, uh, you know, on my dad's side, and he suggested writing in. And now if this is accurate, he may have helped them write or craft the letter that got them the gig. He was a very good writer. Uh, you know, grad, I think he graduated from City College in New York, you know, Madame Kalati and whatever. And, you know, so he, he's a smart guy. Um, and he suggested that maybe he saw something, you know, saw something, a notice in a paper. Or they must have had a TV. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although uh, my grandfather at the time, the one who passed away recently, he did have a TV store for a while. You know, people would stand out on the street and watch the TVs. In, you know, they'd all gather around the TVs that were in the window of the store and watch it from there because most people didn't have TVs in their homes. They were very, very expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, in fact, my, fo my my grandparents lived in Hicksville, New York, and they had one of those, uh, I think it was one of those Levittown-type homes, and the TV was built into the wall. As I remember seeing that. It's kind of neat when I was a little kid. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that. So your mother wrote into the show, and do you know what the what was their rationale for doing so? I mean, were they looking for fame, or is it the gifts, or just kind of for fun? I think it was just for fun. I mean, they were pretty cool like that. I mean, just to, as an aside, you know, a little bit of it's kind of a fun adventure, and TV was a new thing, and my dad was into advertising. And just as a little bit later, that one day in the 50s, uh, after they were married, they they both got fired the same day. Or lost their jobs the same day. I don't recall. If it. And you know what they did? They just went on a road trip and drove to Denver. I mean, it's just, that's this is before the, you know, it was early days of the highway system. I think it's pretty fun. That's kind of adventurous for back in the day. <laughs> so That's pretty that's pretty amazing. I'd be freaking out. You know, uh, you know what are we going to do for money, you know? I get, they just figured it out. You know, I don't know. They, they didn't have a ton of money either. I mean, I know that. So your mom writes into the show, mm -hmm. and I, I assume that initially they're chosen for the show, but then they receive a call from the producer. And what did the producer say? Apparently, they got a call from the producer of the show, and there was some issue about them being Jewish and married on television. And my mother had called her rabbi at the time, and somehow they worked this out. So it, was, so it became this... Uh, historical moment in American television where they became the first Jewish couple to ever be married on national television. So when we play a clip of them getting married on TV, uh, it runs about three and a half minutes or so, which is probably one of the shortest marriage ceremonies ever. <laughs> and take a listen. Stanley H. Rubin, do you of your own free will and consent 
Natalie R. Leakman to be your wife, do you promise to love, honor, and cherish her throughout life? If so, answer yes. yes. Natalie R. Leakman, do you of your own free will and consent take Stanley H. Rubin to be your husband, and do you promise to love, honor, and cherish him through life? If so, answer yes. Stanley, you will place this ring upon her finger and repeat the words after me. Hare, Hare. At, At. Mekudeshes, Li, Betabas, Zu, Kedas, Moshe, Yisrael, which means that by means of that symbolic ring is she consecrated unto you as your lawfully wedded wife according to the law of Moses and the custom in Israel. And you will place this ring upon his finger and repeat the words after me. Behold, by this ring art thou consecrated unto me as my lawfully wedded husband according to the law of Moses and the custom in Israel. And now that you have spoken the words and performed the rites which unite your lives, I do hereby in conformity with the faith of Israel and the laws of our state declare your marriage to be valid and binding. And I pronounce you Stanley H. Rubin you, Natalie R. Leakman, to be husband and wife before God and man. And may our Heavenly Father be nigh unto you and shelter you in all your ways. Yevorecha ko Adonai v'yishmerecha, yoer Adonai ponovelecha v'chonecha, May God bless you and may he keep you. May God cause the light of his countenance to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May God lift up the light of his favor upon you and may he grant you peace. My wife said your parents were both very attractive. They were perfect for TV. But she also noticed, and I actually noticed this also, that now, your father was the less religious person, and your father recited his lines in Hebrew, and your mom, who was very religious or brought up to be religious, she's saying her lines in English. I thought that was kind of unusual. Yeah, and it was funny because when my mom did go to temple, it was like, you know, men on one side, women on the other side, and my dad hadn't. So my dad, I really, that's the only time I can recall him ever seeing him speak Hebrew. <laughs> so, so there you go. It's kind of funny. How that how that worked out? Like when I was bar mitzvahed, everything was in Hebrew, but I had no idea what I was saying. And looking back, I wish I did. I feel exactly the same way. Did they really marry on the show, or is this just a reenactment? No, this was their real marriage. That was it on the show. You you watched it, and you were there, sort of. You know, sixty odd years later. What was interesting, I thought, was that the radio show was done in California, but this is actually filmed in New York. Am I correct? 
That is right. CBS uh, Studios in New York. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and thank your wife because they really were a gorgeous couple. It's odd. It's odd. I look at pictures of my parents when they were young. I'm like, wow, they were pretty good looking. But you know, I I only really remember them as being much older. Uh, and you know, time has its you know takes its effect on you know has it, it takes its toll on people. You know. On the show, your mother mentioned that she was ill and was in the hospital uh, when your parents met. Do you know what she was ill with? Wow, I sure don't. I do not know. I would probably have to ask my brother. I don't even know if he knows. So let's listen to a clip where they describe how they met and discuss Natalie's stay in the hospital. Just how did the romance begin, Natalie? Well, my cousin was overseas with the Signal Corps in Europe during the last war. He sent a snapshot home of himself and his buddy. I remarked in my letter to him about his buddy. And uh, several weeks later, I received a letter from this boy, Stan Rubin, who lived in our neighborhood. We corresponded for over a year, and then he came home. Stan, I imagine you were pretty anxious to meet this very pretty Natalie. Yes, I was. When I got home, I did uh, call her up and found she had a steady bow, so she didn't offer me much encouragement. Mm-hmm. I finally did... Uh, get to see her when some friend told me she was ill in the hospital. Oh, my. Well, I came to see you brought me a box of candy and bouquet red roses. Very thoughtful, man. Did that create the impression you wanted? Well, I'm afraid not, John. She was too ill to eat the candy, so I ate it, and the flowers <laughs> gave her rose fever. So your mom mentioned in the show that she had a cousin who was in World War II overseas, and she, she received a picture from him, and there was another guy in the picture who happened to be your dad. Uh, is that am I, am I understanding it correctly? That's how they met. I believe that is correct. Yeah, I think it was her cousin. I don't recall his name, but so so family legend has it. Uh, but she does mention on the show that she had another beau at the time. Do you know if it was a serious relationship or just kind of a boyfriend kind of thing? Well, I know that before my dad, she was she did date a guy that was in the trucking industry and had. I guess was fairly well off, but she just didn't love the guy. So she she married for love and, and not money. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's listen to one more clip from Bride and Groom where they discuss their first date. Dad, what did you think when you finally saw Natalie in person? I was surprised to see that she had grown up to be such a lovely girl. Mm-hmm. And Natalie, how did you feel about Stan? Well, he was just as I expected from his letters. He came to see me all the time I was ill. When I was better, he took me out on our first date. Uh-huh. What did you do on the first date? He went dancing, and I remarked that he was a wonderful dancer. He right. said this was due to the fact that he had gone to dancing school with a little boy. We compared notes, and uh, we were found out that we both went to the same dancing school. You mean you and Sam were friends as children, and you'd forgotten about it? Well, I knew him, but he didn't know me. Uh-huh. He was 11, and he was a big man. I was a little girl. I was only six at the time. Uh, he moved out of the neighborhood, and out of my life, I thought, and I was heartbroken. Oh, my. Would you say your first date was a success? Uh, oh, definitely. I liked him right away. Well, did you think he was pretty romantic? Well, he didn't rush me. He was very wonderful. And, uh... What did you do the first evening we said goodnight? Well, he shook hands the first evening. <laughs> but he kissed me on our second date. All right. Stan, when did you realize you were beginning to fall in love with Natalie? I guess it was just after that first date, John. We knew that uh, someday, I believe, we would be married. Oh. Well, Natalie, do you remember, speaking of being married, what Stan said when he proposed? Well, Stan's a man of action, but a few words. He didn't actually propose. He asked my mother if he could marry me. She consented. They chose an engagement ring, 
and together with his parents, they planned a surprise engagement party, which was exactly what I wanted. A surprise on you? Mm -hmm. I'm sure your mom said that your father proposed by asking your grandmother and then arranging a surprise uh, with your dad's parents. But she doesn't mention your maternal grandfather. Was he still alive at the time or had he passed on? Uh, he had passed on in 1950. Okay, so he he was re recently deceased at that point then. He was, right, yes. Uh, I've heard nothing wow. but great things about him. I have some fantastic photos from him. He served in World War World War One, and then he worked for the customs in, in New York City for for quite a few years. But, uh, yeah, I, I, obviously I never had a chance to meet him. I did meet my uh, maternal grandmother and m both my uh, grandparents on my dad's side. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Phil. Phil Hanna, what's the name of the love song that Natalie and Stan have asked you to sing? Well, John, they've asked for a new song, one that's most appropriate for this occasion, The Promise of Our Wedding Day. Now as our bride and groom and their attendants leave for the ceremony, Phil Hanna sings their love song. When I walk, I only walk with you. And when I talk, I talk of only you. Believe me, the little things will always be this way. I'll keep the promise of our wedding day. When you smile, you only smile for me. And when you talk, you talk of only me. Believe me, 
So the song they chose was The Promise of Our Wedding Day. Not exactly a classic, if you ask me. I don't think I've ever heard it before or since. Um, did they really choose that song, or was it basically chosen for them? You know, this is one of those things I have no idea. I never heard that song either <laughs> before. I've, I have no clue where that came from. Maybe this was a standard thing on Bride and Groom. You know, let's uh, we got to we know the guy that wrote it. Let's give him a throw some royalties his way. I have no idea. Yeah, that was kind of my impression that every episode they had a new song and they're trying to promote one. And they, maybe their hope was that one of them would become a hit at some point, you know, staff. Yeah, I got some staff writer in there and make a little, a little extra money. I don't know. You know, I don't know. It is TV, you know, but I mean, it was to me. This is what I find fascinating. It's as real as it gets. And their marriage lasted until. 2015 where they they both passed in 15 toward the end so i mean that was a lot better than some of these other uh, more modern tv marriages certainly <laughs> well the interesting thing is that a lot of people went on this show because of the prizes i mean they gave everybody a free car they gave them a honeymoon they gave them you know things like refrigerators and stoves and tvs which are brand new were crazy expensive so they were given all these things. I mean, when you're starting out in life, you don't have any of these. So it's it's a good way to just get going in life, you know. Yeah, you know, they did not. They didn't get to keep the car. That was just for the use to go to the the grossinger. Wow, it, it, you'd never know that from the. Uh, I mean, I watched a bunch of these besides your parents. You'd never know that. You think they actually won the car? And then here come our bride and groom. Congratulations, Ben. Thank You're you. a lovely, lovely bride, Natalie. Wish some things we think you like make your home a little nicer. We're going to start right out in the kitchen with a wonderful gift, this gleaming and shining new tap and gas range. Stan, you won't have to peek to see what's cooking because it has the famous window in the oven door and the tell you set time and temperature guide and many other exclusive tap and features. And for your table, a complete service of four and Gorham stirring silver. The green briar pattern, which you've chosen, is just one of the many elegant designs created by Gorham since 1831. You will always travel in style with this nationally famous Samsonite luggage. You'll find Samsonite is roomy and durable as well as ultra-smart in appearance. And there's at least a hundred uses for this Sew Gem sewing machine, which features Susie, the right-hand miracle stitcher. When friends admire your wardrobe and home accessories, you'll say thanks to Susie of Sew Gem. And over here, a full year supply of our sponsors... Four wonderful Hudson napkins. Hudson rainbow napkins to add four colorful notes or a colorful note to your table settings. Hudson guest napkins for extra special occasions. Hudson damask napkins for your dressiest parties and the famous Hudson table napkins to keep your family's clothes cleaner every day. All four Hudson paper napkins to dress up your table to cut down your work, Natalie. And here is a handsome Spartan 17-inch table model television set. And uh, it'll bring you many fine hours of entertainment because Spartan's stabilized drift lock control assures the clearest, steadiest pictures you've ever seen. And we've also planned an exciting honeymoon for you, too. One that I just know you're going to enjoy and remember always. You'll drive in a luxurious four-door Pontiac Chieftain through the beautiful Catskill Mountains of New York to the Grossinger Hotel and Country Club, where you'll be guests of owner Jenny Grossinger. This fabulous 700-acre resort has an 18-hole golf course, as well as a tremendous artificial ice skating rink, and there's an ice carnival every weekend, too. The world-famous slogan, Grossinger's has everything, becomes a reality there, with dancing, fishing, boating, riding, tennis, and many other diversions at your disposal. You'll enjoy hiking and 
driving through the surrounding Catskill Mountains resplendent in fall colors. I know you'll have a wonderfully happy honeymoon at Grossinger's, and as a matter of fact, it'll be a perfect spot to celebrate your wedding anniversaries in the years to come. Uh, do you know if any of the prizes still exist? Yes, they they do. They had this uh, incredibly durable Samsonite card table with with the four chairs that you'd see with that green, that 1950s green kind of top on it. And, and, I mean, those chairs last forever. <laughs> and, in fact, I think, I think at one point, though, you know, some of the legs became a little wobbly. Or, but it was the typical square folding table. And, I mean, we grew up with it and had it. My sister actually still might have that. They were given keepsake wedding rings. These beautiful keepsake matched wedding rings set to preserve the memory of this very precious moment. These keepsakes are yours to cherish as long as the wedding vows are just the day. Did they wear them for the remainder of their lives or did they go out and buy new ones? No, they did and they were real and I'm actually wearing my dad's wedding ring that's shown in the video. I have it on my right hand. I was trying to figure out from the later news segment as to whether or not they were still the same rings because they focused on their hand, you know, they were holding hands and you could see the rings, but I couldn't see clear enough to find out if they wore the rings from the show. So I guess they were. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a very simple gold band and I've always uh, kind of treasured it. I, I, I got it, uh, you know, my sister was in charge of that and I said, do you mind if I uh, keep hang on to that? So I've, I've worn it, uh, you know, pretty much ever since he passed. I did notice that their honeymoon was at Grossinger's Hotel and Country Club, which oddly, I grew up not too far from that. Now, the interesting thing is that I went through a whole bunch of other shows that are posted on YouTube and archive.org, and no one else was sent to Grossinger's. They were all sent to the Poconos and places like that. Now, Grossinger's happened to be a kosher Jewish hotel. Did your parents choose that, or did the uh, you know producers of the show choose that? That's a good question, and uh, I... I'm just going to guess that it had to do that they were Jewish and that was a Jewish one of those places. Uh, there was a they make uh, reference to not maybe not grossing or maybe they do grossing on the marvelous. And this is Maisel, uh, you know, where these were because there was obviously uh, anti-Semitism and there were cer certainly only uh, exclusionary rules that that barred people of color and religion from even, uh, you know, going to some of these places. So they started their own, you know, or Grossinger did. And I know there were other ones. There's a wonderful uh, documentary on one of these places. I can't remember the name of it on Amazon now. The last one. Uh, Kutcher's you're talking about. Yes, yes. And it was very, really informative. Yeah, I watched that with my wife. Uh, I, I grew up probably about 10 miles from Kutcher's. And uh, I, I wouldn't say I've been there a lot. Uh, the hotel I went to the most was the Concord Hotel, but none of them exist anymore. I mean, Kutcher's is now shut down. Grossinger's recently, uh, in the last year, they basically ripped the whole thing down. It was sitting probably since the mid-1980s abandoned, uh, which is kind of sad. It was, it was when you drove into the town, into Liberty, New York, it sat up on this hill. You could see these buildings from miles away, and they were just, I mean, just rotting away, and uh, it was very sad. There's always talk about them you know, renovating them and reopening the hotel, but it just never happened. Well, very expensive uh, proposition, but how cool would it be? And it's nice that there's some of it still documented. Uh, my, you know, my dad collected swizzle sticks, and he still he had those. And I think my sister has those now from the Grossinger. 
my brother collects a lot of the old hotel stuff. He still lives down there, so he has more of a connection than I do. Sure. Um, did your parents keep kosher or no? No. No, that was pretty much uh, my great-grandmother on my mom's side that did that. Um, but no, they didn't. We, you know, we were typical uh, children of the late 50s into the 60s. Uh, great food, though. My mom was a wonderful cook, and we, you know, that's when families pretty much ate dinner together. You're, you're lucky because, uh, I mean, I love my mom, but she was the worst cook. She always joked that she could burn water. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't say it about, about my mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, all those hotels are gone. And, uh, I saw a comment that really it's the three A's that close them down. One was aircraft. You could fly anywhere. You didn't need to go to the Catskills. The second was air conditioning. By having air conditioning, you could now go to places you couldn't before, and those hotels certainly weren't air conditioned. And the third was that Jewish people just assimilated into society. So it was aircraft, air conditioning, and assimilation that uh, brought the end of the Catskills. Yeah, and probably all the uh, you know the civil rights laws and all that. You know, people just could go where they wanted to go. Sure. Anymore. I mean, my my parents did drive down to Florida in the fifties, and I won't repeat what the sign said here, but some of them were not very kind to uh, people of color or Jews. So a news clip was broadcast 63 years after the wedding and they died, you know, after that, uh, within a short period, were either of them ill when they were on that show at the time? Uh, no, my mother had COPD, uh, probably uh from the Northridge earthquake kicked up a lot of dust and both of my parents got valley fever. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a spore and you might want to look that up to see that I'm getting this correct. That gets kicked up. It's, it's in the ground. It's fine. But when it gets kicked up and people bring it in, they, it gets into your lungs and it can be deadly because my, my mom never smoked a day in her life and then she got, you know, COPD and, you know, she had to be on oxygen, you know, more and more and, Toward the toward the end, all the time. And how long did she suffer from that? For quite a few years, but it was it, you know it got progressively worse. Right, because on the show she sounds. I mean, on the interview that she did, she sounds perfectly fine. All right. Well, a local couple is remembering their very special wedding ceremony. They tied the knot on a CBS show back in the fifties. Cody Stark with their unique nuptials and why the wedding almost didn't happen. You know that couple you see at the mall and they've been together forever, but they're still holding hands? Well, this is that couple. People stop us all the time. They think it's so cute. They were married on a CBS show 63 years ago called Bride and Groom, hosted by a fellow named John Nelson. Theirs is a romance as delightful as a fairy tale. And after we've heard them tell their story, we'll be guests at their wedding. And I don't want you to remind, be reminded of the fact that all this is brought to you by my good friends, the makers of these wonderful Hudson paper napkins. Uh, the reason we uh, got on the show is they asked us to write a love story, how you met. And how they met was quite a tale. They were introduced by one of his army buddies, which was one of her relatives. But they had actually met years before when they were kids, something they figured out on their first date. We compared notes, and uh, we were found out that we both went to the same dancing school. You mean you and Sam were friends as children and you'd forgotten about it? Well, I knew him, but he didn't know me. The thing is, the perfect couple with the perfect story on the wedding show almost didn't happen, and not because they got cold feet, but because they were Jewish. The producers called him at the last minute to tell him. They, that's when they said, 
uh, the Jewish people couldn't be wouldn't be allowed on that. And my rabbi pushed for it and got us on the program. After the controversy was cleared up, they had a lovely TV wedding, a rabbi, a chuppah, of course a smooch, and don't forget those lovely parting gifts like a TV and some luggage. We still have a couple of the gifts that we got 60 years ago. <laughs> the key to such a long and loving relationship can probably be found between Natalie then and now. Whatever Stan wants is what I want most. I'm willing to do anything he wants always. To just agree. Don't argue, just say yes, and then do what you want anyhow. This is the CBS Television Network. Okay, so for my question of the day, you know, your parents were the first Jewish couple you married on TV. So I have a bit of a trivia question for you. Can you name the first mainstream movie that featured a toilet being flushed? Uh, not without Googling it. Okay, I'll give you a hint. It's a really famous movie from the early 60s. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. A horror movie? Alfred Hitchcock? Would it be Psycho? It is, yes. Unbelievable. Very good. Well, you had a, I just remember the, uh, you know, the, the, the violent, uh, you know, shower scene. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. I've seen, I, I think I've seen, other than The Wizard of Oz, I think I've seen that movie more than any other movie. Is that right? Wow. So you like, you like thriller. <laughs> Um, I can't say I like all his work, um, but I do like most of the Alfred Hitchcock movies. I mean, they're very dated, there's no doubt, but I just, you know, for the time period, I thought he was very good at what he did. Well, that concludes part one of my interview with Lee Rubin. I'll post part two next week, which I think you will equally enjoy. Now, my wife heard a crudely edited version of it, and I know that she really liked it, so I hope you will also. Now, I do want to thank Lee for everything he's done in helping to bring this episode together. I remind you again that his comic is titled Rubes, and it is syndicated in newspapers all across the country. Be sure to check out his website, rubescartoons.com. That's rubescartoons.com. And you can also see a great collection of his rubes on gocomics.com. Over the next few days, I'll get the videos that were mentioned today posted on my website, which is uselessinformation.org. But if you'd like to see them right now, just head on over to YouTube and do a search for the following titles. And I'm warning you, these titles are fairly long. The original Bride and Groom episode was titled, quote, Stan and Natalie Rubin's Wedding, CBS on Bride and Groom, October 25th, 1951. I'm betting you just search for Stan and Natalie Rubin's Wedding and it will pop up. Now, the interview that they did on the news many years later was titled simply Stan and Natalie Rubin's Wedding, dot, dot, dot. And to see Lee's TV show pilot, just do a search for, quote, TV series pilot dash drawing inspiration dash Lee Rubin of Rube's Cartoons and Ryan Johnson of New Rule FX. Okay, it's a little bit long. Maybe try TV series pilot drawing inspiration or type in Lee Rubin. I'm sure one of those will bring it up. Just a quick reminder on the process of writing a new book. It'll be a collection of unusual, long-forgotten stories, just like the ones you typically hear on this podcast. If you'd like to receive occasional updates as to when the book will be available, you can just go to my website. That's uselessinformation.org, uselessinformation.org, and click on the image of the book on the left. It's just a dummy cover. But that will take you to the Google form where you can enter in your contact information. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye.